I had, a, I had a sermon laying around here and I opened my other folder and it was the wrong folder. My message wasn't in it. I got a little nervous. And then I left my keys in the sacristy so I didn't know what God was saying to me. But let's rip. Let's, let's rip today. I pray that God would be with us and grant us insight as we think about his word for a few moments today. And, and, and that that would inform us as people who live in the United States of America. And... And, and, and just go through that a, a, a little bit as we ponder July, July 4th. I grew up and went to public school first grade through ninth grade. And the first two years were at like the state graded elementary school in Northwest Iowa called Hartley, Iowa. And it was little, I mean, it was little. And I was a first grade, this is 1970. And I walked to school as a first grader. I didn't even think twice about it. The, the, the day before school, my mom walked me to school and said, this is how you're going to go every day, blah, blah, blah. And, and we did. And we always started class the same way. We came in from recess. We stood together. And we said the Pledge of Allegiance. And then we sang My Country, Tis of Thee, every time. When, when, when we stand, and, and sometimes if it's the patriotic concert or whatnot, I can do my country tisively, and I go immediately back to that little school. Even in Flagstaff, Arizona, where I did third through eighth grade, up until we got to junior high, we did the same thing. Now, that was 100 years ago, but that's all, you know, that, that's how it is. So my, my point is that I grew up with uh, a, a reverent, pride in our in our nation and that's just part of what my dna is um, and 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 i like that I, I i grew up with a family that my we, we talked about our country and my dad was a history major had a master's degree in history from northern arizona university we talked about heroes we talked about the civil war we talked about the generals of world war ii we we talked about the fathers father kino and father sarah all of those pieces of life were a function of the conversation that helped form me. So when I get to July 4th, I like that. You know, I, I, I like that we live in America. I, I, I like that there's not a tank parked out here. I, I like that my sermon wasn't emailed to me by the Department of Propaganda and Religious Stuff, right? I, I like that. No matter where I've traveled in the world, whether it's been India, my dear friend Leslie is here today. Leslie, when we, when we land at LAX, we say, thank God for the United States, don't we? And I know that we, we live in a time where the politics are somewhat divisive. And maybe for a moment we can jump out of the political thing and think about living in America and frame our lives as Christians living in America, a little, a little bit around Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Now, I didn't get thrown out of here at the 8.30 service, so I'm feeling pretty good so far. And so far, no one's run for the exits, so that's cool as, as well. But I want you to think a little bit about, was Jesus political? And the answer to that, and maybe along with that, was Jesus a revolutionary? And if he was, then what did that revolution look like? And does that revolution continue to unwind today? And was Jesus our substitute? Was there a way that Jesus did something for us that we could never do 
for ourselves. And I frame that around Mark chapter 15. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pontius Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? They asked him. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. I stole the ideas for this from Pastor Tim Keller. Pastor Tim Keller recently passed away from pancreatic cancer. He's a a profound uh, theological pastoral leader. Had a church of over 5,000 people in uh, Manhattan, New York. And really, that, that, that thought is Jesus political, something I've gnawed on through Tim Keller all all week. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? It would have been easy for Jesus just to snap back and say, you're darn right I'm the king of the Jews. And here's what that means. I'm bringing down angels. I got soldiers. I got the politicians in my pocket. And you, Pontius Pilate, you are on the short end of the political stick. And here it comes. The hurt is coming down. But Jesus looks at Pilate and he says, what? You say so. (laughs) And I love that. There's some ambiguity in that, right? Is Jesus political? Well, he has every opportunity here before the most powerful person in that area to say, yeah, I'm political. But instead, he says, well, no and yes. No, I don't have a brand, a party, a voting block, a political action committee. Uh, even, even in his ministry, he didn't overthrow not even a mayor of a town or a magistrate of a Roman little thing. He, he didn't do any of that. So in regards to was he 21st century July 2nd political, well, you could honestly say no. But did Jesus' ministry in his life have political ramifications? Well, yes, of course. Governments at that time were totalitarian. I mean, the Roman emperor was God. They said that on the coins and stuff. Caesar is Lord. And so Caesar ruled everything. The largest empire in the history of the world to that point fell 500 years or so after Jesus lived and died and rose again. And as Jesus' followers took the gospel to the ends of the earth... It wasn't a political battle, but it had political implications because after Jesus' followers had taken the gospel to the ends of the earth at that time, it was not the emperor is Lord, it was what? Jesus Christ is Lord. And that changed everything. It wasn't the political pieces of Jesus. It was the message of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the Spirit of God being poured out upon the people who heard the message of the gospel. And so ideas from Christ were embedded in the culture and into the politics. The the beautiful idea that people are equal, men and women equal, People of different races, equal. 
because they are created in the image of God and they are redeemed in the person of Jesus. And as that began to permeate the world, politics were changed. Enormous pieces of political control and power, the totalitarian piece of Rome itself was shaken free. Women found a voice. Races worked together. Through the course of time, slaves were set free. What well, was Jesus political? Well, in one way, no, and in another way, yes. But not maybe how we think. And so we have to be so careful that we don't wrap Jesus around our politics. You know what I'm saying? If Jesus were here now, he'd vote and think and act just like me. Man, you guys, we better be very, very careful with that. Because Jesus, to a degree, never held a political office. Unless you want to count, he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Interesting to think about especially when in America we get so uptight about our politics. People say this and they get mad and they leave the church. And You didn't say this strong enough, Pastor. Well, you, you said this too strong, Pastor. Interesting to think about. And what is the voice of the church in the revolutionary Jesus of Nazareth? That next piece, that next interaction between Jesus and Pilate is fascinating. When Jesus is at the lowest point of that Friday, when, when he has the every opportunity to fight back and get tough, he doesn't. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't do a thing and say, you want to see power? I got power. But the power of the revolution of Jesus is not in the fight, but it's in the peace and the influence of the values and the love that he had for humankind. And Christian leaders have brought that to bear. Our own tradition, our own Lutheran tradition. We've got Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for goodness sakes, stood behind, stood at the forefront of, a, of an insurrection against Adolf Hitler, perhaps the worst totalitarian leader in the last, I don't know, thousand years or more. Horrible. Dietrich Bonhoeffer didn't have a political action committee. He didn't have his name on a ballot. But when it came time to be counted, he stood up and spoke the gospel of Jesus Christ and used his influence outside of politics to accept the, to move the vision and the values of the German folk, the people, against the philosophy of the Third Reich. And he paid for that not by losing an election. He paid for that with his life. I'm reminded of other people in our culture who have been so influential, who didn't necessarily have a, a political platform. Dr. Martin Luther, and I'm sorry, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. His words embedded in our culture and in our values. Dr. King never held a political office that I'm aware of, but boy, was he a powerful voice in the revolution of equality in America. His speech, I have a dream, is one of the most powerful speeches in the history of our nation. 
And over the last two years or so, I've heard an awful lot about people being judged by the quality of their character than the color of their skin. Dr. King, too, martyred for bringing the idea that all people are created equal. The revolution is not a revolution of guns and spears and all of those things. The revolution is a revolution of ideas, of love and influence, of the gospel of Jesus Christ having its way in the hearts of every citizen and those citizens making an impact in the world. You know, it's not, uh, we're not backing into that as a church, you know what I'm saying? It, 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 I, I should hand this part of the message off to Trevor. Th- this is the part where we need to kind of put our chest out a little bit and say, you know what, we are sold out to that idea. That's why we work with Caregiver's Day Off. We did not rearrange our church after COVID so that you would be more comfortable, that you could have more goodies, that we would have a a more powerful internet to be on your phone during church. We did a, we purposefully sought to serve people and make a difference in our community. Caregivers Day Off in foster care, Family Promise of Orange County, opportunity after opportunity to bring the revelation to bear on the people who are hurting because that's what our forefathers did. As fast as the Romans could throw unwanted babies out the window, the Christians in the cities came and grabbed them. People marginalized because of their diseases and sicknesses and their emotional and mental problems are gathered into the community of the faithful in the first century after Jesus died. I want to be that kind of church. I want to be those kind of Christians. I'd rather see us help dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds of people than win one elected office. That's the revolution. The ambiguity and the revolution leads us to think about the substitution of Jesus. And that's maybe where the rubber hit the road. If we were to continue reading in Mark chapter 15, you would end up at Golgotha, or as our tour guide in Israel said, Golgotha. It was there that Jesus stood before Pilate in my place and in your place. He could have sent someone else to do it, but he didn't. The the job was too big. Jesus is my substitute. Jesus is your substitute. When Pilate looked at him and said, go to the cross, he could have as easily looked at me and said, Klinkenberg, you go to the cross. You earned that. Jesus is an innocent man. But God looked at his son and said, I've got this work to do. You go handle it, son. Jesus said, I got this. Our substitute. He went on the cross for us. So when Pastor Stodaro says to us this morning, your sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus, that's sealed in his blood. You can be sure of that gift of God's love for you because of the substitution of Jesus in your place. And that's one of the things that through the course of 2,000 years has made Christianity so compelling. That one man stood for everybody. And God honored that sacrifice, bringing all of us at peace with God. The ambiguity, the revolution, 
the substitution. That's the focus of Jesus. How many grandparents do I have out here? Got a few? Yeah, it ain't bad, huh? It's good work if you can get it, ain't it? So we were gone on vacation. We took our grandkid with us on the first week, and then the second week we started our real vacation when they went back home. <laughs> they were in early church. Don't say anything. It's good. Especially you, Micah. Don't. That's good. So we come home, and I'm pretty tired, and I got a bunch of yard work to do. I do my yard work, shower, sit on the, uh, sit on the couch. Crew comes up next to me, and he's a little cuddle bug. You know, I got to, Papa, Papa, you know, first, first God, Papa, do this, Papa, do that. I'm like, oh, go, go talk to your father. He's 32. He got lots of energy. I'm 59. I'm about dead. So... So we sit on the couch, we look at the TV, and he says, Papa, watch the news. Papa, watch the news. I don't want to watch the news, Papa. Okay. What do you want to watch? Tactive videos. I want to watch tactive videos from the farm. He just loves that. I'm so glad, right? Tactive video. John Deere. Papa, that's a John Deere. I'm like, oh, bless you. And I think about that. My frustration is not as a citizen of the United States. My frustration is with the politics, not the nation. I can live with that. And so I reminded that the country is going to be delivered as an inheritance to my son and my grandson. And I want to make sure that the faith is handed down first so that the citizenship makes sense and is transformed in him by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with that, I find myself distancing myself more and more from politics and power and find myself drawn more and more into the influence of Jesus who said things like this, my kingdom is not of this world. And Jesus said, my burden is light. Or Jesus who said, I am with you always. Amen? Join me in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for our nation. What, what an honor to, to live here. What a marvelous inheritance you've given to us. That whole piece from Deuteronomy, Lord. Buildings we did not build, roads we did not build, internet infrastructure, infrastructure we did not build, all of that. And, and here we are so blessed. So grant us, Lord, that sense of thanksgiving. In a moment, we're going to pray for everyone who makes that possible. Help us have hearts that are soft and kind and warm where they've become frustrated and tired and beat up, grant us the renewal that comes in you. Cradle our hearts in your hands. Grant us a sense of closeness to you and the unity that we share as citizens of this marvelous nation. Bless us as your sons and your daughters as we continue to worship you. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.